Well, Christmas is a time for gifts. Any, any kids here thinking they're getting gifts this Christmas? You know, as you can put your hand down. Oh, probably most of you guys, probably most of you. Some of you maybe already opened a few. You guys already opened some Christmas presents? How many are open Christmas presents later tonight? Anybody wait? Yeah, okay, okay. Who's waiting for tomorrow morning? Where's my, where's my Christmas morning diehards? Yeah, that's when Christmas hit. You can't have both. Uh, all right. Gift giving is just part of how we celebrate Christmas. That's just what we do. It's not like that all over the world. Um, a gift is a powerful thing. Some cultures, gift giving is, is almost inappropriate. In, in some eastern parts of the world, you don't expect a gift. You don't give a gift to someone except maybe a very close friend. It's considered an embarrassment. Other parts, it's immediately met with suspicion of bribery. There's that sense of awkwardness. Am I expected now to repay the favor? I think we have a sense of that in our own culture as well. It can be awkward. Particularly awkward if you're not expecting it or if somebody gives you a gift um, that is way out over and beyond. Something that's really nice. Something that's not only significant in value, something that cost them, but something that's particularly thoughtful. You're left in this place, what, what do I do? Can I, can I accept that? Can I just take that? It's uncomfortable. How do I respond? It's, it's too nice. It's too, it's too extravagant. We spent the last three Sundays asking, what exactly is this gift of Jesus? And, and it starts... All the way back in the book of Genesis, the very beginning, God created the world, created the human race, Adam and Eve in this perfect garden. Everything is at peace. There's no death. There's no sickness. There's no fighting. There was work to be done, but there's no futility. There's no thorns and and frustration and toil in it. And on top of that, they had perfect relationship with God. They knew him. They walked with him in the cool of the day. It was absolutely perfect. But it wasn't long until the only thing that could upset that perfection did upset it. Rebellion against the Creator God. Adam and Eve, tempted by Satan, came to believe that that they were not content where God had placed them. They didn't want to be under God's loving care. They wanted to be like God. They didn't want to be ruled by him, essentially, they wanted to be gods themselves. So they ate. They ate from the only tree in the garden from which God had commanded them not to eat. And it wasn't just an act of eating. It was an act of defiance. It was a statement of their distrust of God and a, and a statement of their newly declared independence from him. Unsurprisingly, the fallout of that action was exactly what God said it would be. Death came into the world. Death came in many forms. Death in their relationship with God, now severed. Death in their relationship with one another, now broken and disordered. Death to the peace and perfection on earth, out of step with its creator animals, now start to tear each other apart for food. Uh, Tectonic plates begin to move and shift and cause earthquakes and volcanoes and storms blow and winds go unwieldy. The corruption of this world infests everywhere. Thorns begin to grow 
frustration would make uh, just surviving now into toil and hardship. Worst of all, there was death to their innocence before God. Because of that, those unchanging realities at the core of who God is, sin, wickedness, evil, must be punished. Rebellion against God cannot be left without the penalty that it deserves. For a finite creature like a human being, that would take an eternity to pay. It's hell, and it's what we deserve. For the first time, Adam and Eve felt shame. It was new to them. It was an awful feeling, a dirty feeling. They couldn't get it off, and so they, they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves to try to hide their shame. Of course, God, all-knowing, fully aware of everything that had transpired to this point, enters the garden, calls Adam and Eve to himself. He explains to them the consequences of their sin. And yet right in the middle of that explanation, Genesis 3.15, he gives them this promise of an extravagant gift. A rescuer would come. Instead of wiping them off the face of this earth as he would have been absolutely right and righteous to do, he promises that one day a rescuer would come. The offspring of the woman would crush the head of Satan and would one day free them from everything that sin had brought into this world and even free creation itself from the corruption of sin. Having made that promise God then foreshadows what that's going to look like, and and it must have been shocking, but God himself brought about the first death on earth, killing an animal and making for them clothes of its skin, proper covering for their shame. Thousands of years passed, but God had not forgotten his promise. In fact, he continued to reveal to humanity how this rescuer would come, who he would be, what he would accomplish. He would undo everything that sin had done in this world. Where sin had brought death, this rescue would bring new life. He would bring life to the relationship between God and man. No more separation. He would bring new life to their relationship with one another. No more fighting, no more wars, no more lying and arguing and distrust. No more strained relationships. He would bring new life, restoring peace and perfection to the world. No more Death, not even the animals. No more chaos of of tsunamis and storms and earthquakes and hurricanes. No more frustration and toil and hardship. Best of all, he would bring new life to their innocence before God. Not just temporary cover for their shame, but the removal of their guilt and sin cast as far as the east is from the west. Those who were guilty, who were sinners, could become righteous again. That's what Israel was waiting for. That was their hope that they had. That's the gift that we as humanity received from God to man that first Christmas. The rescuer had come. God himself come to live as a man, to die on the cross and to pay the penalty that we deserve for sin. And then rising again from the dead, promising that one day he would return to bring to completion all of those promises. Bring everything back to to better than its original perfect state. A kingdom of perfect peace, perfect joy, complete satisfaction of every true desire of our hearts. 
That's what the long-expected Jesus was all about. That's a gift so significant, so costly, so perfectly suited to exactly what we needed. It's hard to know how to respond. Do we try to pay God back? Do we, do we try to earn that somehow? Does God now expect something of us that he's given this gift that we need to do in return? It's an uncomfortable position. We've considered this long-expected Jesus over the last three weeks, and we've been following the life of Simeon, trying to put ourselves into his shoes. We read about Simeon in Luke chapter 2, right after what we usually read as the, the Christmas story. God had personally promised Simeon he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Christ, seen the Messiah with his own eyes. And so he waited with this eager anticipation and hope, every day getting older, every day knowing he was that much closer, and he waited. And finally, on that one fateful day, Mary and Joseph bring the infant Jesus into the temple. And verse 28 tells us that he took him up in his arms, And he blessed God and said. And then he sings this song. Standing in the middle of the temple, he he begins to sing. Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. That you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. The rescuer, the Savior is here. He's finally come. This unimaginable gift from God to man, promised long ago, finally delivered. And and the question that now faces humanity is, what do we do? How do we respond to such an amazing, costly, perfect gift? What do we do? And people respond in various ways. But there's a beautiful example of how we ought to respond in the very next verse. Verse 33 tells us, And his father... And his mother, that's Mary and Joseph, marveled at what was said about him. That's it. They marveled. They took it in and were in awe. They stood back in wonder. What else is there to do? What else could be done? And and yet in the next verse, Simeon gives this warning. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. Fall and rising. This gift would lift some up. It would would save them. It would be their, their deliverance. But for others, it would be their downfall. It would be their demise. How can this be? How is it this amazing gift from God, salvation, this, this rescue that they've been waiting for, could be the downfall of some? It's shocking. This unbelievable gift would be opposed. This wasn't a new idea. In fact, almost everything that Simeon says, he's pulling out from the book of Isaiah. And in Isaiah 8, 14, it says, And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of stumbling to both the houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it, and they shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. It's exactly what Simeon said. He would be for the fall and the rising of many. Some would be brought up by him. 
He would be a sanctuary for them, a place of of safety, of rescue. He would be their their salvation. He was this promised rescuer. Others would stumble over him. They would trip on him. They would be brought down by him. They would fall on him and be destroyed. So how does this amazing gift of rescue become a trap and a snare? And the answer goes right back to the first sin in the Garden of Eden. Why is it that we have a hard time accepting an extravagant gift? Why does that bother us? It's humbling. It makes the giver look greater and the recipient look lesser. It makes us feel like we're in someone's debt, like we owe them something and we don't want to be in that position. It's pride. It's the same thing that snared and trapped Adam and Eve in the garden. They didn't want to be less than God. They didn't want to just receive from God and and be the recipients of His good gifts. They wanted to be like God. They wanted to be equal with God. Out from under His benevolent care. So this gift of rescue is given very intentionally, very precisely. It's this inverse reflection of what happened in the garden. You want to take and become like me? The cure is to receive and Come under me again. To raise up and rescue, to restore those who are willing to be humbled. Those who will recognize the folly of that first sin against God. Put down their desire for control. Their desire to be independent. Their desire to be equal to God. Are willing to receive this extravagant gift humbly and gratefully returning to their right place, not as peers of God, but absolutely dependent on Him, recipients of His goodness. James 4, 6 says that God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. This extravagant gift of Jesus continues today to bring about the fall and the rising of many. The kindness of God. that He chose not to, not to destroy us, not to wipe us out as He could have done, Not to meet this rebellion with force. The wisdom of God. He chose to use an extravagant gift to bring the fall and the rising of many. It draws out the reality of our heart. This extravagant gift, costly and undeserved, it puts a magnifying glass on our pride. And it begs this decisive question. Will you by receiving this gift, humbly relinquish what Adam and Eve pridefully usurped. Renounce what you, your, your treasonous bid for independence from God. Surrender your claim to, to autonomy, to, to self-sufficiency, to self-governance. Truly receive this gift is to, is to again admit our rightful place under God, that we're helpless and He's the helper. That we are dependent and, and He is our sustainer. To become a child again under this benevolent Father. So let me ask in the face of this extravagant gift that we celebrate at Christmas, what's the reaction of your heart? Does this gift make you uncomfortable? Are you suspicious of God? What are you trying to get, God? What do you want in return? Is it threatening to you? This challenges my authority. This challenges my Autonomy and who I am as a person. Yes, it does. What is the, what's the instinctive response of your heart? To so try to 
protect your own honor and dignity, maybe just rejecting it completely? I didn't ask for this, God. I don't need it. I don't want it. Keep your gift. I'm fine on my own. Or maybe it's more deceptive than that by trying to earn it. Trying to to pay God back. Trying to make yourself somehow worthy of it. That's our natural human response. But all of those responses are the same thing. It's pride rearing its ugly head again. It's pride that rejects it. It's pride that tries to receive it while still holding on to my own dignity, my own honor. I'll take your gift, but I'm going to be worthy of it. There's only one appropriate response, and it's the response of Mary and Joseph to just marvel, to just stand in wonder of this God, be humbled and overwhelmed in gratitude. The gift of a Savior given by grace, freely, absolutely undeserved. It can only be received by faith. All faith is is that humble acknowledgement that all I bring to the table is my desperate need. Embrace that. Embrace that. Revel in your unworthiness of this gift. Of absolute undeservedness. Let it bring you to your knees. Let Let it crush the pride in your heart. Give yourself to going back under the benevolent fatherhood of God. Just marvel. Maybe for the first time. Maybe for the 10,000th time. The overwhelming extravagance of this good gift. God doing what we could never have done. Bringing life where there was death. That's the gift of Christmas. That's what we come to celebrate. I hope as you celebrate this evening, tomorrow morning, even now as we sing, that you would just take time again to marvel fresh at this gift that we've received.